Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Cal, and this morning is our last message in our sermon series shift. But before we think this teaching series is in our rearview mirror, there's a couple of thoughts that I believe need to be shared. First, this set of teaching lays a foundation for what I would suggest might be and perhaps should be a a very pivotal moment in Ebenezer's history. You see, when we say these are shifts, we're not talking about small tweaks, slight changes, or even trying some new things. If we track with the focus and direction we have been laying out, this will mean a fundamental change, a seismic shift, a moving of the tectonic plates, if you will, of who we are as a church, our culture, and our practices as we continue to fulfill our mission as His church to point people to Jesus and help them know and follow Him. Second, this isn't going to be a smooth or an easy journey. Anytime there is change, there is always disruption, hesitancy, second-guessing, along with bumps and detours along the way. Change is rarely easy, but it's often necessary. And it is this anticipation of the challenges and barriers to shifting I want to speak briefly on as we close this series. Now, we don't have time to do a full message, but here are just some thoughts to get us talking and to get us sharing with one another. 3,500 years ago, the nation of Israel, under the leadership of Moses, had been released from the slavery and captivity of the Egyptians. They began their journey to the Promised Land, a place that God had set aside for them, but the exact place was unknown to both the leaders and to the people. Now remember, the Israelites had been enslaved for some 400 plus years. Each and every one of those people, young and old alike, only knew life as a slave. A freedom, while desired, was entirely new to them. But this was much more than a movement from slavery to freedom, as important and as key as that was. This was a movement, a shift, from an old culture, an old worldview, from an old way of living and doing things, to an entirely new one. One that would be defined first and foremost as being the people of God, set aside to be used by God for His purposes to point others to Him. Not even one month into their journey, but about 25 days, the Israelites were confronted with their first real challenge. The Red Sea was in front of them, the desert wilderness on both sides, and Pharaoh and his armies, who had changed their minds about letting the Israelites go, were closing in behind them. How did the Israelites respond? Well, this is what they said to Moses in Exodus 14, verses 11 and 12. Weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so that you had to take us out here in the wilderness to die? What have you done to us, taking us out of Egypt? Back in Egypt, didn't we tell you this would happen? Didn't we tell you, leave us alone here in Egypt. We're better off as slaves in Egypt than as corpses in the wilderness. Now, in the midst of change, there are several challenges and barriers that we will face but I'd like to categorize them into kind of two major areas, fear and comfort. 
Fear in that there might be uncertainty about where we're heading. Fear in the journey and fear of whether or not we have what it takes to get to wherever our final destination is. And then there's comfort. The comfort and security of what was. Comfort of doing what you've always been doing and not having to try new things or enter into new places. You see, from a leadership perspective, we do feel a bit like the Israelites in their desert experience. We've left or we're leaving something that has shaped and defined us for so very long. And we're moving towards something that we're not all entirely sure what it's going to look like. Now, does that mean everything we've done as a church for generations has been wrong? No. But we're moving to something that we believe is greater than what we've done and what we've experienced in the past. But here's the thing. We need to move together. We need to unite together and move as one. So how do we move together and how do we continue to press toward what God has called us to? Now again, because of time restraints, I'll only make a couple of very brief statements. In Exodus, God first uses Moses to speak to the people. Moses says, don't be afraid. Stand firm and watch God do his work of salvation for you today. Don't allow fear or uncertainty. Don't allow a desire to return to normal or even comfort keep us from moving ahead. Stand firm and watch God work. The second thing God does is he speaks directly to Moses, the leader of the Israelites, saying, Why are you crying out to me? Speak to the Israelites. Order them to get moving. Hold your staff high and stretch your hand out over the sea. Split the sea. The Israelites will walk through the sea on dry ground. God tells Moses to trust him, to step forward in an act of faith, allow God to use him to do the impossible, and then lead the people. Now, can I just take a moment to say how much I've appreciated Pastor Layton's leadership during this time and what an incredible privilege it is to be a part of this team guiding us as we move forward. While Pastor Layton would never consider himself to be Moses, God has called him to lead us. And I know that he has earnestly sought God in all of this. Now, the shifts that we've been sharing with you these last several weeks didn't just come about during this past year. They've been on our hearts and on our minds for several years now. It's just that COVID, as we've been saying, has both revealed and heightened some of the issues and problems we've been trying to address for a long time. But COVID has also given us the opportunity to make the shifts that we believe are needed to truly get back to God's heart for us, His church. Now, while I'm somewhat nervous about what's coming in the coming weeks, the months and years, I'm not sure what it's going to bring. I'm also incredibly excited about how God is going to shape us and use us for His kingdom purposes as we shift. I trust and pray that you are also ready, ready to shift. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the first Sunday of spring. Spring is always a welcome sight in Saskatchewan, but this year it even feels more special because not only is winter releasing its grip on us, but it, it appears that the pandemic is as well. 
This Sunday, uh, for the first time in about four months, we are gathering in person in our building to worship God. But as hopeful and as exciting as this is, the end of that pandemic is, and its effect on us, is not going to be like a light switch that we turn on or off, where suddenly we are back to normal, if that's what we're even aspiring to do. I'm not convinced that the church is going to return to its pre-COVID form, and nor am I convinced that, that we should. Which is why over the last month, we've tried to engage in an honest but necessary conversation on the future of the church in the mini-series we're calling Shift. They say it takes 21 days or 66 days, depending on who you read, to form a habit. The pandemic has already passed 365 days, so that means a lot of new habits have been formed. Now, just think about how much your patterns have shifted in the last year. From work to schooling, to shopping and eating habits, to traveling and vacationing, to how you entertain yourselves and your family, to your workout routines if you, if you have one. You know, so much has shifted in our lives. Now multiply all those new things and, and shifts of habits of millions and millions of people. And it's, hard, it's not hard to understand that, that normal has changed this last year. So if we're hoping that everything will get back to normal, there's a high probability that it's not going to happen because normal doesn't exist anymore. This past year has certainly changed us, both for the good and the bad. And without a doubt, history books are going to be written about this time, analyzing and studying how individuals and families and communities and nations have been impacted by the pandemic and how leaders and governments and organizations, including the church, have responded to the crisis and been changed by it. This has been a time of uncertainty. Uncertainty around COVID has removed our ability to see what's ahead or around the next corner. Even today, I'm, I'm still uncertain as to whether or not the church will stay open or be placed back on restrictions. It's been a time of instability. Instability is different than uncertainty. Instability means that the present circumstances are, are volatile and unsteady and, and constantly changing. This past season has been a time of unrest. In many ways, this pandemic has been polarizing. People have chosen to believe or not to believe those in authority over us. We have all been frustrated by prolonged restrictions and with the help of the internet and social media, we have found others who think like us and have become more convinced that our way of thinking is right and everyone else is wrong. But it's also been a season of opportunity. Crisis is a catalyst for change, as I said before. And great innovation is often born out of great crisis. But these new opportunities almost always require us to, to change. To change or to shift the way we think and change the way that we act and the models that we use. Now, if you've journeyed through us, with us through this series, you know that the image we've been used to describing this, this church during COVID is an image of an outgoing ocean tide where the receding waters have exposed the ocean floor only to discover that it's full of weeds and, and garbage and all sorts of debris. Now, all those things, of course, have been there for a while. They've just been hidden and out of sight by the water. You know, for the church, the outgoing tide caused by COVID exposed several pre-existing conditions. Things like a lack of meaningful connection with one another outside of our weekend services. Weaknesses and, and gaps in caring for our spiritual family. The challenge of engaging in mission and ministry outside of the, our church-based programs and the limitations of existing program models and leadership structures. 
And as we wrestled with these realities as a staff team, we have identified three critical shifts that need to take place moving forward, regardless of whether the pandemic ends or not. The first is a system shift. And we saw through the story of Moses as he led the people out of Israel that we can restructure ourselves and we learned about the importance of intentionally getting smaller, the importance of distributing and sharing the workload, the importance of effective systems in place, and even the importance of equipping and supporting leaders in that journey. Next, we looked at a mission shift. And this helps us move away from a temple spirituality and leads us back into the world and the spaces where God has placed us. Do you remember the question the atheist asked his pastor friend after attending a Sunday church service? He, he asked, is this what Jesus asked you guys to do? That question really resonated with me. And a mission shift helps us shift focus away from the Sunday morning and shift away from filling our calendar and building with church programs and see ourselves as God's chosen people on mission every day, wherever God places us. The third shift we've looked at is role shift. And last week we began to look at, at what God's Word says about who should be doing what. And what we discovered is that it was actually God who initiated the seismic shift almost 2,000 years ago with the arrival of Jesus. You see, God knew that His ever-growing, ever-expanding kingdom was going to need a new model if it was going to continue to grow and thrive. You know, could you imagine what it would be like if the old covenant system was still in place right now? It's estimated that there are now 2.3 billion Christians around the world from every nation. It would be impossible for all those people to gather in one location in Jerusalem at the temple of God. And it would be impossible for, for those people to have their sins forgiven through a sacrificial system of the Old Testament by administ being administered by a relatively small and exclusive group of temple priests. This role shift had to happen and it was initiated by God. Not the COVID pandemic, or not me or the rest of the staff team, but by God. When Jesus came to earth, he opened a new and better way, the Bible says, for us. That his death gave us new access to God the Father. His resurrection gives us a new identity. We are now his people, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and God's treasured possession. His ascension gave us God's spirit in a new and better, new and better way. And now that spirit indwells us and, and gifts us and empowers us and then sends us. 1 Peter 2 tells us, that those in Christ, meaning everyone who has put their faith in Jesus, have been given a new identity. We are, if you recall from last week, living stones. We're a spiritual house. We're a holy priesthood. We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're God's special possession. The passage also tells us that we have a new calling and a new purpose. That we, that we might declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Last week I spoke of a need for a second reformation. The first reformation, of course, returned the Word of God to His people. But now the second reformation is returning the work of God to His people as more believers come to understand and act on the belief that they are called and gifted and empowered as ministers of the gospel. It's, it's these last couple of words that I want to focus on this time uh, in the time I have remaining. 
because not only do we have a new identity and a new calling, we are also gifted and we're empowered and we're sent out. Our new identity and calling comes from Jesus and his life and, and death and resurrection, and, the, and resurrection. But we are gifted and empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke about the promised Holy Spirit on many occasions during his life on earth. John 7, uh, 38 and 39 says this, that whoever believes in me, as scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Because up until that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Then John 14, uh, verses 16 to 18, It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Matthew 28, 20, it says this from the Amplified Version, I am with you always, meaning remaining with you perpetually regardless of circumstances and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. John 14, 25, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. That's Jesus speaking. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then Acts 1.8, the fulfillment of that promise, says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. These verses and many more remind us of the essential role of the Holy Spirit and the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives as believers. His presence is a deposit and a guarantee that we are truly children of God. The Holy Spirit fulfills God's promise to be with us always. The Holy Spirit helps us deepen our understanding and our journey with Jesus. And then the one that we want to really focus in on today is the Holy Spirit gives us gifts and the power we need to accomplish Jesus' mission on earth. Now, there are four main passages that speak about and inform us of the special and unique gifts the Spirit gives to followers of Jesus. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. This is what Romans 12 says, verses 4 to 6. It says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In His grace, it goes on to say, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Then 1 Peter 4, verse 10, says, God has given each of us, each of you, a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, A spiritual gift is given to each of you so that we can help each other. And a little bit later on in that same uh, passage in the chapter, it says, 
All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. 1 Corinthians 12 is, is one of the main teachings on spiritual gifts. And so I want to just dig in here just a bit to give us a sense of what these gifts are for those that may not know and be familiar with them. So 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 says there are different gifts, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit who distributes them all. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Well, uh, essentially what it's saying is that there are many different and diverse gifts which the Holy Spirit distributes to accomplish the many different and diverse ministries that He has for His church. Different gifts, same Spirit. That's what verse 4 says. Now, did you catch that? There are different kinds of gifts, which means there is an excellent chance that the gifts God has given you are different from the gifts that God has given me or given your friend or given your child or your spouse if you have one. Now, isn't it wonderful to realize that God has not only given us different personalities and passions and experiences, but He's also distributed, distributed a diversity of gifts to His children. And this diversity of gifts is a great thing because it spreads out the load of ministry so no one uh, person is expected to do it alone or able to do it alone even. And it also allows us to accomplish more and impact a broader scope of people than we could ever reach ourselves. But the diversity is also a challenge for us at times too. One challenge is that when we don't see things the same way or when we don't do things the same way or uh, think about things in exactly the same manner, that can be frustrating for, for us. And that's why we need to remember that the God is the orchestrator of this diversity. He has made us different and He is the one who has designed and distributed all these different gifts throughout the church. Our gift differences are not deficiencies. They're not flaws in who we are or failings of what we've done or haven't done which is sometimes the way we view others who are not like us or don't think the way that we do or don't do the things the way we think they should be done or don't see the things that are obvious to us. In other words, you don't have to be the same as those around you. In fact, it's better for the body of Christ if you're not. And we don't have to compare ourselves to others either. We don't need to strive to be like someone else whose gifts we think are better than ours. Instead, God wants us to discover and use the gifts He has given each of us because they are all diverse and different and necessary and needed. Verse 5 goes on to say that there are different kinds of service. It says there are different kinds of service but the same Lord. The gifts of the Spirit, the gifts the Spirit gives to a spiritual family like ours are not, only, are not just for us to, to hoard and use for ourselves. They are meant to have a spiritual impact well beyond our church walls. Many churches, however, I fear, view spiritual gifts as gifts given to the church to run their programs. This is not the purpose of spiritual gifts. Now, yes, there are gifts that can be used in the traditional church setting that we know of. But there are also many gifts given to the church in the world. And in many ways, our church should be an equipping and training ground where people hone their gifts and develop their character so that God can use them in the world around them. 
However, what we, what we can see in a small microcosm like Ebenezer is just how varied and critical and how many gifts are necessary for the church to grow and thrive. You know, just think about it for a second. There, there's teachers and administrators and caregivers and encouragers and those with the gift of mercy and those with the gift of leadership and those who have the gift of helps and those who have the gift of giving and serving and, and hospitality and wisdom and healing. And I get to go on and on and on and talk about the different gifts. You see, there, there are, are different gifts but the same Lord. And that passage wraps up, there are different workings but the same God. There are different kinds of workings but, but all of them are, are from the same God. There are different ways that the Lord works in our lives but the same, it's the same God is working in each of us. Verse 7 uh, continues and we can learn from it. It says, now to each one of Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, which means that every believer has at least one spiritual gift and often more. So, um, if you believe that Jesus is Lord and you have accepted the forgiveness He made possible by dying on the cross, then the Spirit of God lives in you and He has given you at least one as the passage says, manifestation of the Spirit or or special ability that enables you to do extraordinary work for Him. And when God gives you a gift, it's for the sake of others, not for you. Now, although it's given to you, it is really given to the church through you. And God wants you to be a good steward of that gift and us to be a good steward of our gifts in ways that serve the church and and draw people to Jesus and bring glory to the Father around the world. You see, your gift is meant for all. But but here's the reality. Others can only experience it and be blessed by it if you use it. Verse 12 goes on to say, "Just Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. You see, the church is not just one part. It's not just the pastor or the worship leader or the camera guy or the caregiver or the encouragers or evangelists. It's every part. It's every person using their spiritual gifts to to their fullest potential. And that makes the church a fully functioning body. Together, we form one body. There are many parts, many, many parts, and every one, uh, every one of them is necessary for the church to function. So let me just quickly summarize some of the things I've said there so you, you can stay with me. Uh, it, what I've said so far is that all of us are part of the body of Christ and that each person is an important and necessary part of that body. We need to know and use the gifts God has given us, otherwise the body of Christ will be out of sync. And I even go as far as to say that if we don't know and or don't use the gifts the Spirit has given us, the church will never function. It will absolutely never function as God intended. And that would mean that the the family of believers will end up becoming more and more frustrated. Pastors and leaders will end up feeling more and more overwhelmed. And the world who desperately needs the witness of the church will be left to fend for themselves. 
because our mission will be compromised because we're not using our gifts. The last passage I want to look at is Ephesians chapter 4, and I saved this one to the last. And it says this, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, most theologians would say that this Ephesians passage is, has a unique message. And it's that the gifts identified here are, are special. They represent five equipping gifts that are given to the church as a whole. Often they're referred to as pastoral gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. If you read it all in different theological circles, they're called the apest gifts for short. And they are meant to equip God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ is built up, so that the body of Christ reaches unity of faith, so that the body of Christ has knowledge of God's Son, and so that the body of Christ is mature and we are mature people in the faith. It's interesting though that our our North American model of pastor is that they would do the ministry instead of equipping others to do the ministry. And many pastors have, have complied to this model. And so as a result of that, we have not been effective in equipping people and we become doers of the ministry rather than the equippers of the ministry. And again, that creates a dysfunctional body of Christ. So, let me, let me just conclude by, by posing a couple of questions to you today. And, and some of the questions that I, I thought of as, we, as, I, as I prepared is, so um, if I'm sitting here and I've never really understood spiritual gifts before, how do I discover what gifts the Spirit has given to me? That's a great question. And then how can I grow and develop the gifts the Spirit has given me? And where and, and when and how can I use the gifts the Spirit has given me so that I can do my part in the body of Christ? Though Those are some of the things that, that we need to look at and those are some of the shifts that we need to make as a church family to be able to do that. And so uh, coming in, in the future, we're going to be, we want to continue to move towards this shift where rather than us uh, creating an environment where you come and receive, we created an environment where you, where you come and give and go and give to other people. We're going to create an environment where instead of you coming to, to passively just watch a professional do something on, on the stage, either worship or, or teaching or preaching, that you're going to come as an active learner wanting to to know and grow in the gifts that God has given you. We're going to look at at shifting from from something being staff-driven to the staff becoming equippers, like the Bible says. And we're going to try and shift from the gifts being used um, primarily or even exclusively in-house to seeing our gifts as something that God wants to use to reach the world for Him and to bring glory in that. So I have, I have 
four questions I want to, to leave with you and you can ask yourself and maybe talk to other people today. I'll, I'll post them online so you can see them but my, my first question is simply this. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? If someone were to ask you, what is your spiritual gift, would you, would you even be able to answer them with that? Well, if you can't, then, then take heart because one of the things we're going to be offering in the next week or month or so is we're going to be offering a special training time to help you discover your gifts and to begin to look at how they can be used. Second question I want to ask you, because some of you know what your spiritual gifts are, at least you have a, you have a good sense of that, but are you, using your, your, are you presently using your spiritual gifts? And if so, uh, where and to what capacity? And, and if not, why not? And the third question is connected to that. I'm just wondering, what would be the impact on others if your particular gift was fully present and fully functioning in this church? And when I say this church, I don't mean this building, I mean in our family. You know, what would it look like if, if our gifts were being used all the time? What kind of positive impact would the, the, the presence of that gift have on those of us here at Ebenezer? What would the impact of that gift have on those of us who are outside of the church? How would the church grow and flourish because it was used? You know, what would we gain? What spiritual fruit would, be, would we produce more of? What areas of the church would function better because your gift was present and functioning to its full capacity? The fourth question would be, what would be lost if your particular gift is absent from among us? You know, what, what would be missing if no one was using the gift that God has given you? What negative impact would the absence of your gift have on the rest of us? If your gift what was missing from the, the church body, what would the consequences be? What would be missed? What would be neglected? What would cease to function well if your gifts weren't being used? You know, these are important questions that are, are worth our attention because, because uh, they help us learn how we steward the gifts that God has given us and how that will directly impact not only our church family and those that are part of the family of God already, but it will impact those who He longs to adopt into His family. And so, um, just as I close, just remember that, that each believer is given at least one spiritual gift. And these gifts are given for the common good, in other words, not for our benefit. That the Spirit of God is the source of all those gifts. He determines what we receive. He distributes them as He desires for the benefit of the body and beyond. And all the various diverse gifts somehow beautifully work together to form one complete body. No gift functions on its own by itself in a healthy way. I, I, pray, I pray that that as we continue to make this shift that we will really embrace the fact that, that God has gifted us and that He wants to use us and that you will make it your, your, um, your mission. You'll make it your, the thing that you're going to do to pursue and understand how God has made you and what He's gifted you so we can be the body together and impact the world. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Uh, thank you so much for your spirit and 
Holy Spirit, we know that you're God. We, we know that you're the one who um, guides us now in all truth. And we know that you're the one that gifts us and you gift us so that the body can continue to flourish. And so, God, I, I pray that you would, you would help us to know what our gifts are and then give us the, the faith and the, um, and the diligence to be able to use those gifts to bring glory to your name. And so we commit ourselves to you today and may your church flourish here at Ebenezer and in Saskatoon because of what you are doing in us right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.